So like I said, we're continuing our lessons in Christology. Last time we were together, and uh, for those who weren't here, I hope that you listened to the uh, sermon that was uh, uploaded. Uh, when we talked about what's called the whole Christ, what that simply means is Jesus Christ and the church. And I liken it to a head, to a body. And among the many ways in which the Bible speaks of our relationship with, the, with Jesus Christ, as Paul says, um, what, what's running and penetrating through uh, each and every way in which we describe our relationship with Christ is mystery. Um, there is a profound mystery between us and Christ and our relationship. But again, amongst the many ways in which the Bible describes our union with Christ. One of the ways in which it describes it explicitly is uh, Christ is the head and we are the body. And together we make up one mystical person, one myst- uh, mysterious person. Um, <clears throat> and there's much great truths to learn from uh, that doctrine, um, not only for you know doctrinal sake, uh, but also understanding the Bible. Um, and things like that. This evening, however, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I actually should have done this when we talked about the virtues, the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. Um, but I did it, <laughs> so we're going to do it this evening um, so that I know we covered our bases. And next time, um, I mean, there's a lot of things as I'm reading more uh, that I, I I wish I would have done more uh or a lesson on Christology, um, but this is definitely one that uh, we will revisit eventually one day when we talk about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and go in more in depth on the actual gifts and what they are and what they do um, individually for us. <clears throat> the question is uh, before us: What has Christ won for us, and how do we live as Christians? Uh, those are two important questions for us as Christians. Uh, in the Christian life, what has Jesus Christ won for us, and uh, how do we live as Christians? How do we live as Christians? What does Christ win for us? Well, Christ wins for us a multitude of things, does he not? He wins for us reconciliation with God. He wins for us adoption, a sonship, daughtership. He wins for us peace. He wins for us uh, heaven itself. He opens the gates of heaven, all these other things, uh, wonderful things, rather, all these spiritual blessings. Um, but when we consider um, what Christ has won for us uh, through the lens of maybe uh, a medieval theologian or a uh, church father um, or even an early reformed theologian, uh, they talk about Christ winning a multitude of graces for us. Uh, specifically, Christ wins for us and he gives to us the Holy Spirit. He gives to us the Holy Spirit. As Christ, again, back to the head and body analogy, as Christ is the head, um, he gives to the members and dispenses to the members of his body what he possesses, what he has as man. Okay, So Christ as man re- receives the fullness of grace. He receives all the virtues. He receives the gifts of the Spirit. He receives the Spirit himself, and he gives it to us, the church. Okay? And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, um, with the Holy Spirit, it's not merely we're giving a divine person 
um, and he's just sitting there in our souls. Uh, But the Holy Spirit brings with him, not only, as we learned a few weeks ago, his procession, that is, by way of love, okay? So he allows our wills to do the will of God, um, enabling our wills to do the will of God. But also, we receive the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. So we receive from the Holy Spirit not only faith, hope, and love, not only him as a person, the Holy Spirit really is indwelling within you, but also the fruit of the Spirit, which we won't talk about this evening, and what we will talk about this evening, the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit. Now, I'm not interested this evening in doing a whole study on naming and defining every single gift of the Holy Spirit, but rather what the gifts do within us. What the gifts do within us. How do the gifts make us more like Christ? How do the gifts make us more like Christ? A lot of times when people talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially in the popular church today, um, when they are spoken of, they are usually in relation to the apostolic sign gifts. Uh, the apostolic sign gifts, and they relate that to the gifts that the Holy Spirit is continually giving to believers today. So things like the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, the gift of healing, um, and things like that. That's normally how the gifts are spoken of. Uh, and I believe it's like the, the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit or, or something like that. Um, but traditionally, this is not how the gifts have been spoken of by the Spirit. When theologians speak of the gifts of the Spirit, they did so in relation to how the gifts of the Spirit allow us to live more godly. What are they doing within us that changes our nature, that elevates us? And if you know, I mean, if you've been through this study in Christology, um, in the latter half, I've been switching to the work of Christ in sanctification, specifically how Jesus Christ and what is one for us penetrates into our lives, and changes us from the inside out. There is a, there's a real transformation that's happening um, within us, right? Um, and this transformation, we see evidences of it, uh, no doubt, throughout our lives. Um, but we can point to the gifts of the Spirit by which Jesus Christ works on us. Uh, so when... Theologians, again, talk about the gifts of the Spirit. They are referring to the principle that the Spirit uses for us to perform godly acts. Godly acts. <clears throat> again, the principle. What is, what is it that the Spirit uses in order for us to perform a godly act? So what are the gifts of the Spirit? Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 says this. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Here, traditionally, theologians have referred to these uh, uh, listings here as the gifts of the spirit. Um, there is a difference between the gifts of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit. Uh, one day we'll talk about that, <laughs> but for this evening, we'll talk about the gifts of the spirit. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, uh, and fear. 
You can even add godliness or piety to that. Now, traditionally, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit are understood <clears throat> to correspond to the virtues, although they are distinct from them. So there is a there is a distinction between the gifts of the Spirit and the virtues. For example, uh, the theological virtues are faith, hope, and love. Charity, which is love, um, corresponds to wisdom. Faith corresponds to understanding. And hope corresponds to knowledge. And with regard to the moral virtues, uh, prudence corresponds to counsel. Uh, fortitude is just fortitude. And temperance uh, corresponds to fear. Now, all of these gifts and virtues, saints, are given to you by the Holy Spirit. You have, in potential, uh, no, you have the, the, the gifts of the Spirit. Um, now, whether you use them or not is up to you. But you have them um, within you. Now, how are the gifts of the Spirit distinct from the virtues? How are the gifts distinct from the virtues? These, this list of um, uh, of uh, of Wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. The things that the Spirit gives to us, those are the, that's the principle by which the Holy Spirit uh, moves us. Um, how are they distinct from the virtues, then? This really gets into the answer of what the gifts do within us. What do the gifts do within us? And this is really, really neat, what they do within us. Thomas Aquinas says, human virtues. So, let me just... What, what Aquinas is going to do right now is he's going to make a distinction between the virtues and what they do within us and the gifts and what they do within us. Okay, So human virtues perfect man according as, uh, as, it, as it is natural for him to be moved by his reason in his interior and exterior actions. Consequently, man needs yet higher perfections whereby to be disposed to be moved by God. Those perfections are called gifts. Not only because they're infused by God, so they're given by God, but also because uh, by them, man is disposed to become uh, a partaker and uh, inspired by God. Now, note the distinction that Thomas Aquinas is making with regard to the twofold nature of action. In other words, what causes man to move to act? What causes us to move to an action, to do something, right? Again, he says, the virtues perfect man according as it is natural for him to be moved by his reason in his interior and exterior actions. In other words, the, the virtues perfect man and dispose one to move themselves according to right reason. The virtues help man make a decision and then based upon that decision, act upon it. Okay? In other words, so when you are presented, like, for example, with a temptation, um, within your within your intellect, you are going to reason whether or not you should do it. I'm sure we all have been there. Or uh, maybe uh, you ate a lot and someone brings to you another plate. You're going to reason, and it doesn't have to be something where like you're debating within your mind for 10 hours. It could be just a quick debate whether you should do it or not. And sometimes you do it and sometimes you don't. But reason dictates if you're going to move toward whatever's being presented toward you, okay? <clears throat> and what the virtues should do, rather, uh, is with respect to the Christian and temptation, and if it's a temptation for us to do some, to sin, uh, the virtues should allow reason uh, to be aligned with the will of God. 
so that we do not succumb to temptation and thereby move ourselves to commit an act of sin. The gifts of the Spirit, however, dispose one to be moved by the Holy Spirit in their actions. So you can think of it like this. The virtues allow man to move himself to action. The gifts of the Spirit allow man to be moved by the Holy Spirit to action. There's a distinction there. The gifts of the Spirit become a part of the human spirit through the gifts, enable the human person to be prompted and moved accordingly toward the good. We can say that when reason or right, when right reason fails, the Spirit uses the gifts to help the believer make the right decision. <clears throat> we can say also that the gifts of the Spirit are pretty much the the virtues in a perfected state. Again, when reason fails and all of our reason falls, we all make we all make judgments that fail us. And at that time, we might think that they're right, but looking back, we'll say to ourselves, man, that was a bonehead decision. I shouldn't have done that. So even in that state of you thinking that you made a right decision, even thinking it's a godly decision, you might look back saying, that was a wrong decision. Um, the gifts of the Spirit, though, at times, the Holy Spirit will prompt you and move you when reason fall, fails to do something good. Consider what our catechism uh, says. Um, question 34, we just read it. It says that the Spirit both persuades and enables us to embrace Christ. Persuades us, that is, heightening our intellect, right? And continues to heighten our intellect to know Jesus Christ. But also in doing so, the Spirit takes us by the hand and moves us to believe upon Christ. You see, there are many people who use reason to believe uh, many things, many spiritual or false spiritual truths. Many people use reason to believe things that are contrary to what Christians believe. But what we are saying here is the Holy Spirit, when he is working within us, really uh, uh, heightens our minds and moves our wills to believe a supernatural truth. And believing upon Christ in the perfect example, saints, of the Spirit prompting us, enabling us, moving us to believe. Because without the Spirit enabling and moving us to believe, of course, we would not believe. Now, it's important to note that this doesn't in any way violate our free will. When I say that the Spirit prompts, the Spirit inspires, the Spirit moves us, one of the objections might be, well, am I really believing then? If it is the Spirit that's moving me to believe, am I, be am I truly uh, believing these truths? Well, yes, you are, uh, because the Holy Spirit doesn't believe for you. So you are believing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ freely. So when I say that the Spirit moves us, prompts us, divinely inspires us to believe, 
This doesn't in any way make us robots or violate our free will. The Spirit's motion does not violate our freedom. Instead, the Spirit moves us freely. The Spirit, the Spirit, you can say, um, works with our nature. This is why our catechism question says, heightens our intellect. Right? It moves our wills. Persuades us so that you can do it. Just as, you know, the car salesman. You don't have to buy the car. The car salesman is not buying the car for you. You are going to buy the car. But his job is to persuade you and move you to buy the car. But it's still you buying the car. Well, similarly, it is the Holy Spirit that is likened to a guide or likened to one uh, directing, taking us by the hand and showing us the right way where we can go. The Spirit works with us, our natures. He works with our minds. He works with our wills so that we can, and you can say, upon our own decision, believe upon Jesus Christ. It was our decision to make, right? But you have to understand also that it was the Holy Spirit that was using and prompting us to believe upon him. So there is a great, mysterious, mind you, harmony uh, between the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us to believe and us freely choosing to believe. <clears throat> the Bible regularly speaks about us being guided by the Spirit. Paul says in Romans 8.14, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. Again, those who are being led by the Spirit. Sons and daughters. John Gill says the act of leading ascribed to the Holy Spirit is neither an, an allusion to leading of blind persons. This is a... And this really fits nicely to what we just talked about. The Spirit is not leading, the Spirit is not putting a blindfold over us and now leading us blindly, as if we don't know where we're going. And that's why, I'm, and that's why it's important to say that the Spirit works with our nature. He works with us. He doesn't violate us. Gil says, or such who are in the dark, or rather to the leading of children and teaching them to go. Right? It's similar to a parent teaching a child and then leading them where to go. The spirit in Paul's mind is a likened to a guide or a director who enlightened us interiorly. He enlightens our minds, enlightens our wills about what we should do. This is what David is alluding to in Psalm 142.3. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Here, David says that when he, his reason fails him, the spirit will lead the way. Again, when my spirit faints within me, you know the way, you know my way, you will lead me. The spirit in this verse is uh, not one who simply teaches us the way, but he moves the heart of the believer towards the way. <clears throat> One theologian said the spiritual person, in a certain sense, is not primarily inclined to act from the motion of his own will, but on the prompting of the Holy Spirit. One example of this uh, from my own experience, I'm sure Pastor Antonio can attest to this, <clears throat> is having something in my mind that I'm going to preach. And up to Friday, I don't want to preach it anymore. I want to preach something else. Um, or even Saturday. 
what can I attest that to? I believe that that is a prompting of the Holy Spirit. My friend Jihad, I talked to uh, last week. We were going back and forth about the things he was going to talk about Sunday, which is today. He texts me Saturday, I'm not going to preach that sermon. Based upon conversations he's had with his uh, uh, people of his church, I think I'm going to go another route. That is a prompting of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit moved him, right? Um, gave him, in, in a lot of ways, divine insight into what the people of God needed most that Sunday. And it wasn't the sermon that he was going to prepare initially. So to sum this up, saints, the Holy Spirit freely moves us to act. Again, freely moves us to act. He coordinates with our wills, with our intellect. He illuminates both our will and intellect. And he does this by the gifts, which render us receptive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit allow us to receive those promptings of the Holy Spirit. If you do not have the Holy Spirit and the gifts, then the Holy Spirit cannot move within you. You need the Holy Spirit first and foremost, and you need the gifts as well. How does this relate to Jesus Christ? How does Christ possessing, uh, how does Christ possessing the fullness of the gifts, um, and how are they communicated to us? One vital truth of the, of the personal work of Christ is the Holy Spirit's work in the humanity of Jesus Christ. That is a, an important aspect of Jesus Christ's work. That Christ as man possessed the Holy Spirit without measure, not at the beginning of his baptism, but at the moment of conception. Remember the very instant uh, of the virgin's womb being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, uh, that zygote within the virgin's womb was given grace without measure. It was given the Holy Spirit without measure. Which means that Christ as man not only had the fullness of grace because he has the Spirit, but also he has the fullness of the gifts and the virtues from the Spirit. And this is what was prophesied of Isaiah, or rather of Jesus in Isaiah 11, chapter, or 11, verse 2. The same text we get the, the gifts of the Spirit from. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Speaking of Christ. The Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So we, first and foremost, don't have the gifts, but Christ has the gifts. Christ has the gifts. Now, why would Jesus Christ, as man, need the Spirit? He's God in the flesh. Why would Jesus Christ need the Spirit? It, it would seem um, sort of weird, right? I mean, we can understand us needing the Spirit, but Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, why would he need the Spirit? Well, many reasons. But the main reason is for him to carry out our salvation. For Christ to carry out our salvation. And in order for him to carry out our salvation, although he is truly God, he is also in the context in a sin-cursed world. Again, Christ, in order for him to carry out our salvation, although he is truly God, he carries out our salvation in a sin-cursed world, in the context of a sin-cursed world. So he needed to be aided by the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at that at the very end, or revisit that. Jesus Christ is given the Spirit so that his humanity may be perfectly disposed to human action. That is to say, Jesus Christ always 
as man always acts according to right reason. Jesus Christ always acts according to right reason. When something is presented to him, he always acts according to right reason. Mind you, even when he, in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, my God, my God, uh, not my God, my God, but uh, Lord, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. He, um, it seems like there was a debate within Christ of whether he should go to the cross or not. Well, it's actually reasonable and, ju- and, and just for him to not want to die. It's not a bad thing for the Son of God to say, I don't want to undergo this uh, because I know who I am. Uh, I know that you know, I am sinless and uh, I'm uh, uh, essentially, um, uh, uh, I should be admitted from this, these things because of being sinless and, and all those other things. Uh, but it's not unreasonable for the Son of God to say, I don't want to die. <clears throat> but also we see the promptings of the Spirit within him, within that, right? Within that that. That uh, 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 section uh, in the Gospels of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Christ is also disposed to be moved by God. As I say, Jesus never rejected the Spirit's promptings in his life. And this is big for us now. I mean, if you want to, if there's any time for you to pay attention, it's now. Jesus Christ never, ever, ever rejected the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never moved him and Jesus Christ, the best that he could, held on to a pole and said, I don't want to move. The scriptures speak of this. Matthew 4.1, right after Christ's baptism, this pronouncement upon Christ that the heavens open up. The Father declares his love to his Son. The Spirit rests upon him, equipping him for his messianic task. Immediately, what happens after? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the willingness to be tempted by the devil. It's sort of like, I mean, after your graduation, you you don't want to do something like going to the wilderness and starving. I mean, that's the last thing you want to do. After this, this big correlation event, the very last thing we would want to do is be tempted by Satan in the most dire and severe context. But notice, it is the Spirit that led Jesus Christ into the wilderness. John five nineteen. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is, uh, unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in the same way. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And it was the Holy Spirit that continually um, um, taught Christ in his humanity the will of God. He was continually uh, 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 teaching Jesus Christ the will of God. Luke twenty two forty two, saying, Father, if you're willing, again, let we just talked about this, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. I mean, you can't tell me that, yet not my will, but your wills be done. Although Christ said that as man, 
You can't tell me that wasn't a, a prompting of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 50, verse 5. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, and I turned not backward. Jesus Christ, at not at one moment, turned backward. And there are many more scriptures that we can examine that speak to our Lord's humanity, always being led by the Spirit. But we have to ask now, how does this relate to us? It's not enough for Jesus Christ to possess the gifts of the Spirit if he can't dispense them to the members of his body of the church. For Christ to possess the Spirit without measure, but also for him to have the gifts, is no use for us if he can't in this life give them to us. And this is what Christ does for us, saints. 1 Corinthians 15.45, Paul says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. It is Jesus Christ who is the head of the church, possesses the fullness of the gifts, possesses all of grace, possesses the Holy Spirit, and he gives to us the spirit because he is life-giving spirit. It is the spirit of Christ. He gives to us his spirit. Christ's mission then is to take all that he has in his humanity and from humanity, give it to humanity. You see the connection there. From Christ's humanity, which becomes sort of like a fountain, springing forth living water, that water drizzles down into us, the members of his body who are human as well. He communicates to us the fullness of what he has. And one day, saints, uh, we will have the fullness of what he has. And this includes not only the virtues, but also the gifts, so that we're not only inclined to move ourselves to the good, but also we're inclined to be moved by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the scriptures regularly speak of this being communicated to us as well. John fifteen five, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. <clears throat> you know, we partake of uh, uh, the, the, the living uh, sap <laughs> that's within Christ. Uh, we are the branches uh, from Christ, and we partake of, of the fruit, the roots, all the life that is in the tree. We, we partake in that. Because we are united to Jesus Christ. And as long as we're united to Christ, uh, all the nutrients that's within uh, the tree is extended out to us. So we can bear much fruit. Philippians 2.13 For it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work, we can say to will and to act, for his pleasure. It is God working within you. So that you can will and act. So you can desire and work for his good pleasure. This is the current work of sanctification. The gifts of this Holy Spirit move us in such a way. So that we can uh, cooperate with the grace that God infuses within us. This is what we read in, our, in uh, chapter uh, 16, paragraph 3 of our confession. Their ability, the believer's ability to do good work does not arise at all from themselves, but entirely from the Spirit of Christ. And notice here, to enable them, to enable them to do good works, they need, in addition to the graces they have already received, an actual influence 
of the same Holy Spirit to work in them to will and to do his good pleasure. Yet this is no reason for them to grow careless as if they were not required to perform any duty without a special notion of the motion of the Spirit. Instead, they should be diligent to stir up the grace of God as within them. You see that there is a mysterious twofold way of action, right? Where you are stirring up, but it is the Holy Spirit prompting you to stir up. We aren't to be ones who, uh, um, in many ways, quench the promptings of the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit moves within us, we are to move. It is the Holy Spirit who uses the gifts to enable the believer to move freely towards obeying God's word. Now, the importance of this study is this, saints. It teaches us that Christ, first and foremost, was not free of grace, but dependent, uh, entirely dependent upon it for the fulfillment of his work. Again, Jesus Christ in his life and ministry was not free of grace, but he entirely was dependent upon that grace for the fulfillment of his work. I remember listening a long time ago to a pastor named Ian Hamilton who said something that always stuck with me even to now. He said that Jesus Christ didn't cruise to glory. That Jesus Christ, uh, you know, didn't, didn't march and go to the cross without any suffering. It wasn't just the wrath of God on the cross where that was displayed, but rather it was the entirety of Christ's life in his estate of humiliation um, where we see the suffering servant on display. Christ suffered for the 33 years he lived on earth. He didn't know by no means cruise the glory. And if he if he did, then he wouldn't need the fullness of the spirit. He wouldn't need to be full of grace and truth. He wouldn't need the gifts of the spirit. In fact, saints, going back to what we talked about previously. Um, again, Jesus Christ wasn't placed in Eden. Uh, Jesus Christ wasn't placed in a garden, but Jesus Christ was placed uh, in in uh, the very curse of Eden. He was placed in a sin cursed world. He was placed uh, where he would walk and there would be thorns and thistles around him and, and not not uh, these these magnificent rivers and, and, and beautiful and lustrous gardens and, and, and all this fruit to eat. <clears throat> and, in, and in fact, even adding to that, uh, it wasn't merely just the moral law, but it was also those positive laws that Christ also had to obey. So Jesus Christ was placed in the most severe and harshest context. It's almost as if he was placed in a situation and if we look back, we can say no man should accomplish what he accomplished. No man can do what he did. This is why Jesus Christ needed all of the aid that he could receive. So Jesus Christ, what he does is he takes all that he had, all that he was aided with, and he gives us to us. In other words, saints, Christ did not mount up by his own strength, by his own human nature. He didn't say, within myself, I can do it. I will do it to accomplish his work of redemption. But rather, 
Jesus Christ was totally reliant and depended upon the Holy Spirit to fulfill his mission. And in this regard, saints, there is no distinction between the way Christ was moved and the way that we are moved now as Christians. In substance, the same spirit that was within Christ, the same spirit that is within us. Here's the difference. One is without measure, and the spirit is given to us Yes, completely and fully, but not all the gifts as, as far as us being completely always moved by them. Always moved by them. <clears throat> this is why saying sanctification is so important for us. That we are to learn to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit and to move when the Holy Spirit calls us to move. The same Spirit that was in Christ is given to us so that we can, as Paul says in Romans eight thirteen through 14 if you are living in accord with the flesh, you're going to die. But if, you, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice, there's a twofold action in putting to death the deeds of the body. It is you as well as the Holy Spirit working within you. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. So saints, what's the great application for today? Be led by the Spirit. Uh, Don't quench those promptings of the Holy Spirit. And I end, saints, with uh, a prayer from a medieval theologian by the name of Bonaventure. He says, O Lord Jesus, Through you, I humbly beg the merciful Father to send the Holy Spirit of grace, that he may bestow upon us his sevenfold gifts. May he send us the gift of wisdom, which will make us uh, 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 forfeit the tree of life that is none other than yourself. The gift of understanding, which will enlighten us. The gift of counsel, which will guide us in the way of righteousness, the gift of fortitude, which will give us the strength to vanquish the enemies of our sanctification and salvation. May he impart to us the gift of knowledge, which he will enable us to discern your teaching and distinguish good from evil, the gift of piety, which will make us enjoy true peace, and the gift of fear, which will make us shun all iniquity and avoid all danger of offending your majesty. To the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, be given all glory and thanksgiving forever. Amen.